I'm Michelle and I'm back for season two of Get Mouthy from the Head and Neck Cancer Foundation. Talking about cancer is important, but it doesn't have to be dull or depressing. So join me as I chat with some of the most interesting people I know who are all linked to the fight against head and neck cancers, either personally or professionally. Hello, everybody. So today I'm with F. Marseille. Is that how you pronounce your name? That is spot on, on. yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And he's with me today and he has actually uh, battled his own journey with cancer and has also had um, some family members touched by it. Um, But he's got such a positive mindset. I was reading some of his book, we'll we'll talk about a bit later um, this morning, and it's sort of, it's just so positive and it's actually humorous. Um, and I th- think it'll be just be really valuable for our listeners who go are going through similar experiences. So your your book is called, and I have to I have to practice saying this, humorous testicles, which I just love that, <laughs> just say cancers, and it's a great read for anyone I think sort of impacted by cancer because I think once you hear that first time you hear that word cancer, it's people are just scared and it's kind of like you want to know well what's going to happen next. And your book's kind of like a really fun way of knowing what actually really is going to happen next and how am I going to feel about that? So just to sort of start with that, how did you first sort of tell me about your own sort of cancer journey and how did you first notice that something was wrong? Yeah, um, so, well, thanks for the introduction. Um, yeah, my my cancer journey started, I was 29 years old. Um, I just quit my job in Essex. I was living up in Essex and I got offered a four-month job in Rio, at the, in Brazil at the Rio Olympics and I thought I'd go and work in Rio for four months and then travel South America um, for as long as I could till my money ran out. I was absolutely living the dream. I was. It was. It was great. I was living right just off Copacabana Beach, working working in boxing at the Olympics. It it was amazing. And then um, on the penultimate night of the games, um, I I had this really severe back pain, um, which I just had to lay flat on the ground. It was like a Wow. It was like a cramp in my back. And at first I thought, oh, my God, this is a really bad, bad hangover. Uh, <laughs> maybe I've been drinking too much of my liver or something like that. And, and all these different things were going through my mind. Um, it, it certainly wasn't cancer. I thought maybe I burst appendix or something like that. Um, and then it vanished like pretty quickly. And I and then it came back again two days later, the pain. Um, and I went to yeah the Olympic medi clinic in the athletes village so there's like usain bolt and everyone walking around <laughs> and me with a with a big swollen testicle um and yeah i, I had a few misdiagnoses in, in brazil as well and obviously i'd like the language barrier as well yeah. so um i was like about to fly to argentina to go traveling and and stay in a 16 bed dorm hostel and and start partying and things like that and this consultant on the last day he said you, you need to get um you need to have surgery because he'd found he'd found a tumor um in my testicle so i was like dumbfounded obviously like everybody is when they get a first diagnosis and, and rather than flying to argentina i had to fly back to the uk um and rather than do one of those surprise i'm back yeah, I'm you know, for God. my family i had to come back and they all thought i'd run out of money or been deported or something like that <laughs> So, did you, um, so that's really doubly horrible then because you're on your own yeah. without your sort of family and loved ones <laughs> in another country. And did you tell them before you came back or you told them and th- you came back then told them? No. no. So I, I told my dad um, that they thought I'd had a tumour and I was flying back. I didn't tell my mum. It's like an 11 hour flight back from Brazil as well. So I didn't want to tell them. And then they are feeling even more helpless yeah. than, than anything. So 
that was a real, I guess, a strange tactic. Um, looking back, is that I sat with it on my own thoughts for yeah the journey back from Brazil, which took two days. Uh, didn't didn't tell anyone, and and I think that probably you know since talking to a lot of people that go through it, and and especially men that sit with their own diagnosis for a long time without telling anyone, um, it's not a massively healthy thing to do for your mental health. Mm. I can totally resonate with people not telling people um, and not wanting to people bring people down or make people sad. Um, you know, I totally understand that, but but eventually you have to tell people, and that's I guess yeah. Going back to the book is is about talking about it and opening up the conversations around cancer and yeah. and like you alluded to at the moment when we mentioned the word cancer, it's not that instant feeling of oh my god, someone's going to die. Um, and because just just telling people it it brings so much chaos to yeah. people's reactions around you yeah uh, it's a difficult thing because i i'm fortunate enough touch wood to not um not in my immediate family in and you know with my aunts and that i have but um two of my best friends have had uh cancer and the first one i met her when she was going through her chemo um but Anne, my other friend she had to ring me i think it was the beginning of last year maybe the year before doesn't matter and tell me that she had cancer and I really felt for her telling me because she and I was thinking, God, she's had to do this with all her other friends as well and family, you know. And it also, it's a really weird thing because you don't know what to say. Like, you know, yeah. what do you say to somebody who just tells you, I've just sprung to tell you that I've got breast cancer. You know, it's like, I'm not sure what I'm going to, I'm not going to say well done or, you know, like your your first thought is immediately, are oh, they are, I hate to say this, but oh my God, am I going to lose my friends? That is your very first thought. Am I going to lose them? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, Again, the, my my story and the one that I'm trying to share is is like I say opening up the discussion because and just making people aware. So where I've written this book, it's not just for the person that's going through the treatment, but for the friends and families yeah. of those going through it. Because I I even put in there, you know, it became obvious the reactions that I was going to get. So I've I've said, um, you know, it's like that five stages of grief, you know, denial, anger, bargaining, acceptance, and action, and and um each person in my own story like my dad you know he stayed in denial for a long time during the thing he wouldn't w mention the word cancer or or anything he just used phrases like he's sick and things yeah. um and you know those other friends in my friendship group who totally ignored it and that was good as well for me like they just wanted to watch the football yeah have normal friend back it's not happening and then you had the other friends who were pretty over the top and very caring and 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 everything and and that was needed as well um yeah. there isn't a right or wrong answer but it's just trying to make people establish what friendship or relationship or, or role that they're going to play in yeah. each person's diagnosis yeah and that's a strange thing isn't it because we have that we have a um a facebook support group and a lot of the people that are on that are friends and family they're not necessarily the actual person who has cancer they're friends and family and i think it's because you feel like the person who's got cancer, you want to protect them. And so you, your own feelings, you're like, oh, what do I do with these, my own feelings? And how do I help them? And how do I best, you know, uh, be the best support that I can be to them? And, that, and like you say, not everyone wants the same thing. Some people you want to just don't talk to me about it. Like, let just let yeah. me live my own life. And others, you want some lift from and support and the encouragement, you know, and it's knowing what that is. But I think what I loved about the book was, though, is the fact that you're, even like in the first chapter, where you're saying where someone said one of your friends phoned you up and said I've got it is it awful and you said 
yeah, it, you didn't use these words, but you said, yeah, it is. And I think that's actually, that's why people Google stuff, isn't it? Because they want to know what is it really going to be like? I find that people um, who are who are asking about it don't want to necessarily know about the medical stuff. They want to know, and then will I be able to do this? And then, and that, what does that actually feel like when you have chemo? What does it actually feel like, you know? And it's those sorts of questions that a clinician might not necessarily tell you, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I'm not a doctor or a clin- clinician at all. And I, I took a I took a pretty ignorant approach to dealing with cancer, in, in my opinion. I, I didn't go to Dr. Google or anything like that. I thought, I'm just going to live it. And um, a lot of people that go through cancer, they talk about you just turn on this survival mode and you're just in survival mode all the time. And, and, and that's sort of fine because you know to beat this or whatever or, or, or tackle it, you're going to have to take me to the hospital, plug me into the chemo chair, whatever it is, have surgery, and you can mentally prepare yourself for, for those things in a way. You know how you're going to react. <laughs> but what you don't know how other people are going to react. You know, um, my mum was quite emotional throughout. Obviously, she was going into mum mode. Yeah. Uh, but my message for, for, for the mum sort of character within the book is, I needed her to look after her own self as well, rather than just pour everything into me. Um, you know, my sister, she was very pragmatic and everything was factual and uh, done on blood tests and, you know, what's the sort of science approach. Yeah. Um, and then there's the people that just, yeah, take the emotional approach and, and things like that as well. But when um, I think what was a bit of a shock and why I, I ended up telling my story even more was because I was in Brazil at the, the, at the time and, you know, I was leading a bit of a social media life and saying, you know, hey, guys, look at me. I'm climbing a mountain and in Brazil or I'm on a beach. And, and it was brilliant. And then a week later, I had to post, you know, hi, everyone. I was having the time of my life. Um, unfortunately, I've been told that last week, actually, I've got cancer and I'm going in for surgery tomorrow. Yeah. And I said, but but don't worry, everyone. We got this. And uh, everyone commented on this social media post. You got this, F. You got this. You got this. And it became like this positive mantra. Um, and they, they are they are very positive and that stuff. Sometimes there's, you know, this po- uh, toxic positivity where you, you don't want to be positive and you do just want to wallow in your sorrows in, in bed and listening to depressing music. Yeah. And that's fine. That's fine as well. Um, but it's... Is that what made you think about writing this book? Did you kind of like always have a book in you and then this was it? Or did you... Did, was this completely born out of that um so i've always written and i used to do stand-up comedy uh, around london for a few years so i used to write a lot of comedy and and things like that and and i've done a few challenges in the past marathons and cycling events and so i usually you always used to blog and do things to raise money for, for charities during that um i'd always wanted to write a book and lots of people say that they'd love to write a book and it is really really difficult i can't lie but I blogged during the cancer journey, but there's only so much you will say because, again, you don't want you don't really want to give away the full facts because it is quite harrowing and depressing at times when you're being sick and and stuff like that. But the book came about because the the first year in my my remission, I was done with cancer and I didn't want to talk about it anymore. And I I didn't want it to define me and everything. I wanted to move on from it. Second year remission, I wanted to get my my normal life back and just work a normal job and and crack on and do the normal things 
And then in the third year, I had all these people contacting me through friends saying, my friend's just being diagnosed, can you speak to them on the phone? Or yeah. my, my family member's being diagnosed, can you give them a call? And I was phoning up people and we'd have conversations and I met a lot of cancer friends and things like that. And Because I had one during my journey, Julian, um, and he supported me all the way throughout. And so then I was paying it forward as well for these other people. And then I started writing letters to people that were new, newly diagnosed. And I'd say, look, sorry to hear you've got it. This is what's going to happen. Some friends will leave you. Some friends from school will come back and it will be it will be good and bad points and stuff like that. And after a few letters, I thought I could probably generalize these letters and put it into one book. So yeah. so the book is written like it's a letter to someone. Yeah like yeah dear mate i saw that (laughs) yeah the first line is you know hello mate um sorry to hear about your next adventure cancer you know yeah um so that's that's how it is but like i said it's it's written i guess for the primary reader is someone that's going through it but like you mentioned that isn't just the person that's sat in a chemo chair that's the person that's on the sidelines and sat by the bedside when the person's asleep that's going through chemo and you don't know what's going on and you can't handle you, you can't mind read and people aren't open and um and stuff like that and i guess that that alludes to our connection with, with head and neck here is yeah. because i had to sit on the sidelines last year when my 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 mum was diagnosed and you know i'd lived through the cancer journey myself i'd done the five years remission and then my mum was was diagnosed last year with with cancer on her tongue. Had to have surgery on her neck. Um, and and then that time it was me sat on the sidelines, yeah. and I I was like it, it totally flipped it, and it made me realise that in ways it's just as hard to mm. be on the sidelines than than yeah. going through the treatment. So yeah. So your mindset from when you had so did you so go back to just to your cancer? Then I want to come to your mum's, but when you were did your mindset change you know you said right at the beginning that you kind of like said I'm not going to do Dr Google I'm just going to see what it throws at me did your mindset change during your treatment or did it sort of stay the same I did not um I did not look up anything on the internet but I was confiding in um my friends that had had cancer a lot before Mm -hmm. um I took all my advice from people that had lived it um through the lived experience so yeah I didn't go to Dr Google I mean to to show the sort of I don't know if ignorance is a is an unfair word towards me but on like week eight of my chemotherapy the the consultant asked if I wanted to know what my blood markers were at the time where where they test you know what your yeah. the, the the aggressiveness of the tumor is still going or whatever and it was week eight of chemotherapy and I was like what's blood markers because <laughs> that's like that's like the standard everyone goes to and tells you what, what their blood markers are or how they've gone up or down or yeah yeah if i'd known that in week one i maybe could have given it a bit more of a, a logical thinking of okay these are my numbers because you know that my afp hormone or something was going to be below naught and five and mine was 750 and knowing at the time maybe i would have gone oh my god this is rubbish um mm. I need to change my diet. I need to do this, this, this. Um, but because I left it with no information, I felt like maybe that did put me in a better way of of not hitting the panic button in a way. Um, I knew I sort of just believed that the chemotherapy would work, and 
and that I was putting all my trust in the doctors and the schedules that they were putting me on. Um, it, you know, that probably wouldn't be my advice to other people, and that's not my advice to other people. I, if you get, to, if you get to that action phase of this, you know, the five stages of grief, mm. I was maybe living in denial, and that's how I handled it. But once you get to that action phase, and you're like, right, these are my numbers. Okay, how else can I lower my blood markers? Do I approach my diet in a different way? Which you should. Mm. Um, you know, lo- loads of different um, approaches to, to dealing with cancer than, mm. than that. And so then he's talked, unfortunately, about your mum being diagnosed with a, with an oral cancer, cancer on her tongue. Yeah. So how, how that, God, that's such a role reverse, isn't it? So how, like, how did she tell you? Or what were your feelings then when she told you? Um, well, I think my sister told me, um, I was living in Birmingham at the time as well. So I guess it's one of those where it's it's not easy telling your own news. I know that for, yeah. for myself. Um but yeah, I was I was living in Birmingham. Um she'd actually sort of chipped her tooth on, on something a few months previously. And you know that thing when you chip a tooth or something or you lose a feeling and you're constantly touching it with That's your tongue. It. Um, that was going on for a few months and she went to the dentist and the dentist like saw saw a lump on her tongue and said you know you, you probably need to go get referred about this so luckily that you know she went to a really good dentist that saw those things yeah. referred her she went um, to see a consultant and yeah had more tests and it, would, it was confirmed that she had cancer on her tongue um, which is like a really devastating one. I know you guys, you know, yes, it's um, the prognosis can be really scary in, okay, in yeah. head um, and I think, you know, my mum did probably take to Dr. Google maybe a bit too quickly and, and yeah. saw some of the things about, you know, losing your entire tongue and, and yes. you know, the jaw operations and stuff like that. So it was a really, really scary time. Um, she had part of her tongue removed like the side um so she's just got like maybe three quarters of the tongue now and she had the um neck dissection where she had 56 lymph nodes um, removed from her neck and a few days in hospital um for that so it's been a long road to recovery to be honest it's yeah well over a year now um but it's you know it takes a lot longer for these physical and psychological um, repairs to happen so it was it like I say it was different with the with the shoe being on the other foot and having yeah. to sit in uncertainty and worry and, and all these things um, yeah yeah but it is that kind of not knowing isn't it um so I mean we sort of say those head and neck cancers are same well same as most cancers but um same as the cancers we all know about in that self-checking pays a huge part in your diagnosis and um you know now what we're hearing is like your mum said you know you, your your mum's dentist found it because he was he was checking we, we sort of all dentists are supposed to check you and they a lot of them do but they don't tell you that they're doing it and we kind of like say can you tell people what they're checking you for so that they might they'll be aware of this in the first place because your mum probably hadn't even heard of oral cancers before or tongue cancers or anything like that um so self-diagnosis is really important. So just tell 
tell me about that about self-diagnosis how 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 often should men be checking themselves um where should they be checking themselves um yes yeah, so men should be checking themselves like once a month at least um <laughs> some people say like do it on payday or something like that <laughs> and um yeah you the best place to check your testicles is, is in the shower or or a bath because uh, that's where they become relaxed and your, your scrotum becomes relaxed and you can have a good feel around the shape of your actual testicle um and yeah you should be feeling for any like painless lumps on the ball or um any unfamiliar shapes to the shape of your ball um and, and that's probably why it took me so long for my my rush to go to the doctors is because i actually didn't have a pain they say you should look for a painless pea-sized lump on your ball that's what you know they're they're teaching stuff mostly um but my pea-sized lump was growing inside my ball was growing outwards so that's why originally i thought it was a test uh, like a twisted testicle or or something like that um so it is any unfamiliar shapes with your testicles and and the reason why you should regularly check them is because you're not looking for you know what what is there now at a a pea-sized lump but you need to be familiar with the shape of yours because if they do become unregular, then you go to the doctors, you get checked out, um, and the doctor will usually have a feel as well. And and also, it's not just the um, pea-sized lumps and things like that, but if they feel heavier, so if you if you have a ball that feels heavier, then you should also get that checked out. Um, and then, yeah, the, the, if if the doctor has any further concerns, then they'll send you for an ultrasound. So then they're nothing too scary that's just a you know an ultrasound that you know pregnant women go for an ultrasound on their belly it's the same scanning device um some blue jelly blue cold jelly on your testicle (laughs) (laughs) and sit under it like it's uh you know a supermarket cashier just scanning your balls (laughs) so but it's funny you're so right because we say this with your mouth in that um if you we have a little video that we have on our website and it just encourage, shows people what their mouth looks like you know where your salivary glands are what are your actual tonsils and all that sort of thing what under your mouth your tongue should look like and we say exactly the same as you if you check it regularly you'll know what a healthy mouth looks like yeah. so that when something does feel and like you say people automatically think it could be a lump or it could be you know it doesn't have to be that it can be anything that's abnormal you know changing your skin changing the color of the way something looks but like you say it's all that knowing what it should be like so if something is different you can go oh well that is a bit different and I, and then I think and this is one of the things I know with testicular cancer is a lot of men and it, it happens the same with oral cancers men are diagnosed later than women are because men don't tend to go to the doctors they'll yeah. wait on whatever it is so is that the same with testicular cancer that yeah yeah immediately go to the doctor yeah, definitely, and especially the younger men. So you know, testicular cancer can start, you know, with with lads and they're 15 years old, you know, 15, 16 years old. And I've got a younger brother who's 18, and you know, he he was nervous and concerned the other day, and you know, obviously you've got the family history now as well. Yeah. And you know, I tried to not be the older brother and joke and and be um, older brother to him, but. He was like, how do I actually like book an appointment, though? And I was like, yeah. you phone up the surgery and say that you have a problem with your testicles and then the doctor will feel your balls. And he's like, what? And like another man's going to feel my balls. 
and I said, yeah, it, it's you know, it's nothing like that. Um, but the the reason and the lesson that you should be taking away from, or anyone should be taking away from, my unfortunate diagnosis is because, again, because I was in Brazil and working at the Olympics and and language barriers and thinking it was a twisted testicle and stuff like that because I'd left it so long it, it was stage two testicular mm-hmm. cancer so it had spread to my lymph nodes and because it was stage two I didn't just have the the surgery and the operation I had to have nine weeks of chemotherapy and that was yeah. losing my hair and and the full shebang and all the side effects of chemo and oh it's horrible chemotherapy is yeah. disgusting and um but if you if you catch it early enough you can go for an operation it's 45 okay. minutes Whip, whip a ball out. Yeah, it's uh, done. Day, three days recovery. You could be back at work on a Monday. Yeah. Um, so uh, um, uh, we could talk forever, but um, I just want to say thank you so much. And I would say to anybody, if you're interested in this book or if you're going to a similar thing, uh, to me, this is the sort of thing I would want to read because it's sort of normal language that just tells you how it is sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and it's a journey that you can that is shared you know it's very much a shared sort of journey the way you're sharing it in the book so and i know it's available on amazon isn't it at the moment yeah yeah it's it's available on amazon tumorous testicles just say cancer uh, it's yeah. big yellow yellow front cover with a blue glove um and <laughs> yeah it's been it's been getting some great reviews so far it went to number one in the cancer category um on books on its release so it's been getting a lot of um you know charities have, give, have endorsed it and it's got a lot of uh, quotes from some of the oncologists as well and and, and cancer research specialists and stuff saying this will be the perfect companion for someone going through cancer because I say it's not just the medical stuff, it's the straight up approach and there's lots of yeah. funny in there as well. The first half of the book is, is quite funny, 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 funny. Um, and there's a little bit of the serious stuff in there with the cancer, obviously it has to be, but it's not just doom and gloom, depressing, cancer's terrible and, and everything. So yeah, um, go and check the reviews is what I can say. I'm not much of a salesman, so. <laughs> it's been so, so good talking to you and we'd love to have you back sometime and, and yeah. chat more, but it's been really good. Thank you so much for speaking to us today. No, thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed that. Please share this to help raise awareness. And if you'd like any further information about head and neck cancers, do visit our website, hncf.org.uk.